Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor here. If you've never been to the Vineyard, good morning. We are really happy to have you. And if you're on the live stream, we're happy to have you as well. Uh, It's Easter, and that's a good thing. Uh, It's also good to just see some faces I haven't seen in the room, like maybe for a year. So that's really, really sweet. I feel it in my, I feel it in my feeler, uh, and uh, that's a good thing. So uh, good to see you guys with us as well this morning. Uh, Hey, here's what I want to do for our Easter message this morning. It's going to be taken from the Gospel of Mark. So if you want to turn to Mark chapter 16. Uh, The reading for Easter this year comes from Mark chapter 16, and we're going to be looking exactly at what the lectionary lays out for us this morning, which is 16, 1 through 8. I want to read that to you, and then we'll kind of maybe do a little backtracking and then come back to the scripture, if that's okay. Here's the testimony from Mark's gospel. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene Mary, the mother of James and Salome, went out to purchase burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they look up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And the women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. They said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. The end. Heck of an Easter passage, right? Maybe, maybe you have your Bible with you this morning. Uh, one of the things you'll notice that if you have your Bible with you this morning, there's like two extra endings there in Mark's gospel, right? There's the short ending and then there's the longer ending. And one, one little note, uh, probably neither one of those endings, either the short or the long, probably neither one of those was written by Mark. This for sure was written by Mark. Probably those other two endings, they're still trustworthy, but they probably came from the gospel community that came up around Mark afterwards, uh, probably taken from the oral tradition, probably. And probably what happened is there was probably another ending that actually was in the original Mark gospel. And it probably didn't make it because when, when you're living in the first century, you're writing things on scrolls. And how many of you know that if you're writing things on scrolls, the most vulnerable parts are what? The beginning and the ending, right? Cause it's handled, right? So we just don't have it, right? Like we don't know exactly what happened. So this is, this is what we have that we know that actually came from Mark. But what we have is an empty tomb. And then we have these strange note that the women left because they were what? Afraid. 
By the way, fear, trembling, and bewilderment, it's in all four gospels. You know, a lot of times we think, we think Easter is like fuzzy, fuzzy, like grass, that, that plastic grass that's in the baskets. We think Easter's like fuzzy bunnies, plastic grass, some Easter eggs, dinner at Graham's and chocolate eggs. But the original Easter is like bewilderment, fear, and trembling, like universally. Anyway, now let's do a timeout because there is a lot of gospel words for us in these eight verses that I want to get to. But before we get to that, I feel like we have to do just a little bit of back work in order to, to extract from, from Mark's gospel what it is that the Spirit maybe has for us today. And uh, I want to do that by first just giving you the title of this message. The title of this message is, What Wasn't Needed, What We Could Not Do, and What We Could Not Believe. These are Easter words for us this morning. What wasn't needed, what we could not do, and what we could not believe. All right, let me tell you a couple stories. Or let me ask you a question first. And let me start by asking a question that certainly dates myself and alienates a good portion of the room. (laughs) Some people in the room are thinking, that's not good to do on Easter morning. <laughs> Alienating the room. Let's don't do that. Well, here's my question this morning. How many of you remember, how many of you remember the day you heard Nirvana sing Smells Like Teen Spirit? Like if you're my age, if you're my age, you remember, you remember the mo- you might even remember the moment you heard it. You might remember the moment you heard Smells Like Teen Spirit. The reason, the reason why this is so important, and by the way, in, in rock and roll history, this is one of the watershed moments. Like you can divide rock and roll into all kinds of moments, right? And one of the moments you can divide rock and roll into is before Smells Like Teen Spirit and after Smells Like Teen Spirit. Like it's, it's literally a continental divide of like music. It's, it's that big. And, and here's why, and Seth, I need your help a little bit. Because before Smells Like Teen Spirit, before that's, no, before, this is what rock and roll looked like. This is what rock and roll looked look, look at, my God, look at Brett Michaels. Like, look at him. Okay, so when I was growing up, when I was growing up, for the longest time, this is what rock and roll looked like. It looked, it's hair metal, right? It was hair metal. It was glam. It was, it was big hair. It was hairspray. It was tight pants. It was, it was swashbuckling belts. Look at, look at that belt. My Lord, did he get it off of a conquistador? Where did this come from? And then there's, there's wall, like one guy has pants that look like they're wallpaper. I've seen that in your, I've seen that in your bathroom. And not only that, but, but this was, this was the era of eyeliner. Like men wore eyeliner and it was glam and it was rock and roll. And if you go back and like, if you go back and, you know, watch some of those, some of those like MTV or VH1 behind the music things. Here, one of the things you find out is like bands like this were kind of fighting each other on the Sunset Strip. I mean, I, kind of, you know. And, and this was what rock and roll was like for, for like 15 years from Judas Priest up to Poison 
Literally, the biggest song in the world was Unskinny Bop. Like it was on, do you remember this? It was on MTV constantly. And then this happened, Seth. This, look, this happened and, and it deleted everything else overnight. And in fact, you can go back, you can go back and watch music documentaries about this. And it is really funny because the hair metal guy said, we had, we had stadium tours booked. We had stadium tours booked. We were playing to rooms of 20,000 people. Uh, we, were, we had buses, we had airplanes, and then Nirvana comes out with Smells Like Teen Spirit, and within a year, they couldn't sell out a club of 300 people. Over. It's like there's before, and then there's after, and all of a sudden, you're in like this brand new day. Like, before, before, it was just, it was, it was, it was hair, you know? Uh, before rock and roll, rock and roll was about, was about glam, excessive denial. Seth, can we go back to the other picture? Glam, excessive, but the other word that's under glam and excessive is the word denial. Now let's go back to the other picture. Afterwards, afterwards, uh, it became about uh, the embrace of, uh, of searing white hot authenticity, Right? It's the exact opposite. Like everything about Nirvana is I'm going to tell you exactly, exactly how I feel about my actual life. Right? Yeah. In a moment, everything changed. And you might be thinking, what does this have to do with the passage we just read or with Easter? Well, I'm glad you asked. And the answer is almost nothing. (laughs) Because metaphors break down. They do. That's the problem with metaphors. But I will say this, one thing this has to do with the passage we just read is this. Here's what Easter is. Easter is essentially showing up to a Nirvana concert dressed like Nikki Six from Motley Crue. If you don't watch it. That's what happened to the women. They thought they, thought they were going to see poison. What they were going to see was Kurt Cobain. They had no idea. And if you think you're going to see poison, you'll dress inappropriately and you'll bring things you don't need right? You'll, you'll, you'll have, you'll have, you'll have an eighties mindset for a nineties moment. You know, some of you are like, I wish you would go back to talking about Taylor Swift (laughs) and Kid Cudi. Well, I'm just going to say, this is the Gen X moment. We've waited our entire lives for this. And I'm going to give you Nirvana stories for the next decade and you can deal with it. And then when the next person who's pastor here, they can come back and they'll give you more of what I've been giving you lately, which is Taylor Swift. Okay, let me, let me switch gears here just for a minute. How many of you, how many of you remember the Nokia 3310? What? This one. <laughs> yeah. What did everyone call this phone? The brick. It's like if you, if you type in, this is super hysterical. If you go to Google and type in brick phone, this is the one that comes up. And how many of you know that it, it, it got its name, the brick? It got its name, the brick, not because it just looked like a brick, but it was as durable as a brick. You can't break these things. Am I right, Marcus? You, you can throw it in water. You can throw it. You can use it to like scotch wheels behind a trailer. You, you can do anything with this phone. It would never die. And the most advanced thing that this phone had was, y'all remember the snake game? Yeah, you know, you're really bored. You can play snake 
for like 10 seconds. Yeah. So there's like, there's like, there's this moment when this is what the world's technology was. And then in 2007, what happened? The iPhone came out and guess what died instantly? The brick. It was just over. And when the iPhone came out, it didn't just change phones. It changed the internet. Like there's, there's the internet before the iPhone and then there's the internet after the iPhone. Guys, like we, we're having an experience with the internet now. It was nothing like, it was nothing like this until the iPhone came along. Like everything that we take as normal happened because the hardware changed. Every single thing. Eventually historians are going to look back and they're going to talk about history before and after the iPhone. Like that'd be another way to just divide the epochs. Okay, now let's do something Something else. Uh, how many have ever taken a really big trip? Anybody in this room ever taken a really big trip? And I'm not talking about to Florida. <laughs> I'm talking about an actual big trip, not Destin, okay? I'm talking about like out of the country. Anybody here ever been to like Europe or South America? You know, I'm not talking about Tijuana. I'm talking about like actual all the way down, Argentina somewhere, you know? Yeah. Um, you take a big trip. And when you get ready for a big trip, how do you feel? You feel excited, right? You're like, you're like electric. You're like, whoo, this is going to be fun. I cannot wait. I wonder what it's going to be like. And underneath the excitement, how many of you would also say there's sometimes a little bit of anxiety? You know, you're like, well, I'm an American and I'm not sure about their language. Or am I going to say something that's fun in America, but it's like deeply offensive <laughs> over there? You know, uh, is that going to happen? And then, and then you, you finally land in your new environment and you realize, wow, everything here is different. Everything here is different. Like, I'll never forget the first time that I went to Lima, Peru. Lima, Peru is in South America. It's in Peru. And it's a city of, I want to say, it's like 10 million people. So in terms of it's just like collected self, it's a city that's twice the size of New York City, right? Now, the greater New York area has has maybe some more people, but Lima is just, it's like 10 million people squished right into this little valley, right? Right on the ocean into this little valley. And when you get to Lima, like there is nothing in your life that will prepare you for the chaos that is that city. And I remember the first time that I took a, a cab ride in Lima from the airport to this little, this little neighborhood where I was going. Uh, we're, we're like 30 minutes into this cab ride and the, cab, the cabbie literally hits a motorcycle guy. He hits him. I see the guy down in the, in the rear view mirror. And I'm like, hey, hey, we hit a guy. He's like, yeah, he's fine. And he just keeps driving. I'm like, well, this is different. This is new. Where are we? Right. And, and everything is, everything is so different. It's, it's, it's this huge city. Uh, the language is different. It's utter chaos. The food is different. In some places in, in Lima, Peru, people will eat guinea pigs on purpose. <laughs> like there's a menu and of all the things some people will choose the guinea pig I, I did it I, the problem with the guinea pig is its little face that's what they don't prepare you for it's the little face and the yellow teeth you just put the napkin over its little head <laughs> there's a sense in which 
Lima, Peru is totally foreign. But then there's a sense in which it's just like home. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, it's just filled with people. Like, like they're, just, they're just people. And it's people who have families and people who work jobs and they have communities. I mean, it's totally different and it is exactly like here. Or more specifically, let me ask you one more trip about uh, one more question about travel. Uh, how many of you have ever gotten like super stoked about a big trip and you spent months planning what you're going to take? Like like you make the list and then you refine the list and then you refine the list and you're like, "You know what I'm really going to need when I go on this trip? I'm really going to need this thing or these things." And you get everything stuffed and you get everything packed and you get your pack and you get everything ready to go and you fly and you get there and everything's different but everything's sort of the same and then what do you discover three days into your trip you don't need any of the stuff you brought with you you don't actually need it how many of you have ever taken even a beach vacation and you didn't read any of the books you took with you right or, or you, you, you're like, you know what? Here's what I need. I need this pair of shoes for walking and then I need this pair of shoes for nice dinners and then I need this jacket for when it rains and really at the end, you just wore your sweatpants and your flip-flops the whole time, right? Like you brought a bunch of stuff that you didn't need. Okay. Enough silliness. Why am I telling all these stories? Well, I'm telling these stories because I want to talk to you about what is not needed, what we cannot do, and what we cannot believe. And so what I want to do is I want to pop into three places in today's text. And I want to talk about the ways in which resurrection sort of, sort of upends us, sort of resets the score. Seth, if you want to pull the first couple of verses of Mark chapter 16 up, Maybe verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bible, you can look at those. We see the first shift at the very beginning of our text. The women were the first to go out to the tomb. And read for that, the women were the bravest. Like, this is essential to the Easter story. It's not the guys who were brave. It's always the girls who were brave. You know? Uh, That's one of the one of the ways that you know that the Bible's telling this, this upended story. It's like, well, who gets the gospel good news of the resurrection first? It's the women. And why? Because they're the most courageous. They're the most like duty-filled. They're the most like, okay, we're going to go do this thing no matter what. But they're on their way to the tomb. And one of the things that you see is in verse 1, they had made preparations. The night before, they went out and bought some burial spices. And, and probably, I was doing a little reading this week, probably they, they weren't carrying burial spices like, like a little handful. You know, we go to Kroger and we buy like the little two ounce thing, don't we? You know, I'm going to make pork chops tonight. And I, I got the two ounce thing of like Stubbs rub or whatever. It's like, <laughs> I, I just trust those more, you know? It's like, I just feel like Stubbs is a barbecue name and I feel like that's the one you need to get, you know? And... And one of the things that I was reading this week is like when they're purchasing burial spices, it's not like two ounces. Think like pounds. Think oils and pounds of things to like pack on a body. Think embalming, right? They had made preparations for Jesus, but everybody here knows the story. They go to find Jesus 
and they go to take pounds of spices to put on his body and to embalm him and to preserve him. And what's the big switch? Oh, Jesus is not there. Jesus is not there. They're probably sad. They're probably filled with anxiety. They had gotten up early and when they arrived, they stepped into a new kind of day and they stepped into a day where the old rules don't apply. They were literally standing before an empty tomb holding spices that were not needed. What are we going to do with these? Here's what resurrection means. Resurrection means that there are some things we can let go of. Resurrection means that to live into it fully, there are some things we'll actually have to sit down. There, it means that some of the things that were a good idea the day before, an appropriate idea the day before, in, in, in order to fully lean into Easter or to fully lean into the new day or to fully lean into resurrection, the first thing that we find is that sometimes we just have to turn some stuff loose. Some things we've been holding on to, some things we've been carrying, uh, especially, hey, this is a good one for Christians, especially, especially, Especially the impulse to do something for Jesus. That's the first thing that gets let go of in Easter and in resurrection. It's like this idea that I'm going to do something for God. You know, uh, I've, come to, I've come to embalm Jesus. I'm going to do him a solid. You know, one for my homies. Uh, newsflash, he doesn't need it. Literally doesn't need it. Maybe, maybe, maybe the thing that we need to let go is the, the sadness of the previous moment. Or maybe it's the anxiety that attends duty and what I should be doing. They had come to embalm and preserve Jesus for a little while, but it was on resurrection day that they found out that God had done in Christ, that what he had done in Christ would preserve these women for eternity. Sometimes you have to let go of what you want to do for Jesus so that you can see that in those moments, those are the very places where God in Christ has done for you what you thought you were going to do for him. What you thought you were going to do for him for a little while, he has done for you for eternity. This is the good news. Things that are not needed. So this morning, you might even start thinking, what what is it that I should just let go of? What What is it on your best day? By the way, again, all the guys afraid run off, right? The ladies, they're the bravest. They're the courageous. They're the ones who are filled with a sense of duty. They're the ones who are doing the right thing. And by the way, read for that. They're having a good day. You know, as human beings, they're having a good day. What is it on your best day that in the resurrection is no longer needed? No longer needed. Number two, what we cannot do. The second clue in this passage that this is some kind of new thing immediately follows. You see it in the anxiety that the women have as they approach the tomb. Who's going to roll away the stone? Who's going to do it for us? It's a big stone. It's a giant stone. Who's going to remove the rock? They're carrying the spices and they're on the way to see Jesus. And the only thing that's in their mind and in their heart is this little bit of anxiety. Who's going to roll away the stone for us? Who's going to roll away the stone? Um, Here's the gospel good news for us this morning. It was already done. This is the gospel in miniature. What we could not move, what we could not do, what we were powerless against, God in Christ has done for us. 
What seems impossible, what seems heavy, what seems immovable, what seems in the way. The gospel good news is that God is already at work and in the very places where we are weak, he is strong. When the crowd shouted crucify, when they asked for Barabbas, even then before the cross, the gospel was at work setting criminals and lawbreakers free. This is good news. And here on Easter morning in the very places where Mary and Mary and Salome were weak, where they could not do, where things were in the way, the gospel was going ahead of them and removing what they could not move in their own strength. Only Jesus can do this. Church, whatever is heavy is no big deal to the resurrected son of God. Resurrection is here and it's doing its work. Finally, what we cannot believe. Our passage ends with bewilderment and fear. Seth, why don't we put up that last verse, verse 8. The passage ends with bewilderment and fear. The women fled from the tomb. Trembling and bewildered, they said nothing because they were too frightened. We often think, we often think that Easter is more like fuzzy. By the way, I'm all for fuzzy. Let's have it. But one of the consistent themes is bewilderment and fear. And let me also say, I'm so happy that the Bible tells the story just like this. I'm so happy that the Bible doesn't leave it out. It's one of the reasons I actually believe it. Because the Bible is a document that, that tells of its weakness of its own heroes. It doesn't hide the weakness of the heroes. You know, I, the Bible does this over and over again. The Bible's the only book that like subverts its own story over and over again. You know, there's 150 Psalms and we think they're all praise and worship. Actually, they're mostly lament. And Psalm 88 has no resolve, none, none whatsoever. Psalm 88 ends with darkness is my only friend. We talked about that a few weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah. I, these are the reasons why I trust the Bible. Not because the Bible tells this like victorious story where the heroes are all like super glittery and fresh and clean, but instead because it tells of the weakness of its, of its main pillars. Here we are. I'm so glad that the Bible ends this. The Bible actually tells the people, people's story. The Bible actually tells the story of people not believing, not just people who do believe, but the story of people who don't believe. And by the way, these people, these women right here, they're the ones who also heard Jesus say, they will kill me. Jesus told his disciples, he told, he told them, they knew, they, it's, it's interesting. Like the Bible is the story of people who couldn't believe in the dead Jesus or in the resurrected Jesus, even though Jesus, when he was alive, told them, they will kill me. And three days later, I will be alive. It's amazing. We're just sort of not ready for that. And the reason we're not ready for that is because for three and a half years, Jesus just ran around kicking butt and taking names. And it's really hard to get your head around a Jesus who kicks out every demon and heals every sick person. And then all of a sudden he's dead on a cross. It's really, really hard. And these women were fearful and Thomas doubted and all the disciples hid behind locked doors. That's what John says. And yet Jesus in the very places where we are fearful, he calls, he comes to us and he calls us towards faith. In the very places where we are fearful. And by the way, this is a huge theme in the gospel of Mark. 
Fear and faith. This is a huge theme in the gospel of Mark. Over and over and over, more than any other gospel, Mark tells the story of people who are afraid and the story of people who get called into faith by Jesus in the middle of their fear. If you want to take notes, you can write a few things down here. Go, go and look at this. Here's just a few things. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 41. People are afraid. That's after the storm. Mark chapter 5, verse 15, healing of the demoniac. Uh, there's a guy, there's a wild demoniac, guy filled with demons, hundreds, maybe thousands of demons into the pigs. Uh, when they see him dressed and in his right mind, what is everybody's reaction? Gripped with fear. Like crazy tomb guy wasn't as scary as tomb guy made well. Like it's everywhere in the gospel of Mark. Uh, 932, 932, the disciples are afraid to ask Jesus about his death prediction. Jesus is like, I'm going to die. And his disciples are afraid to talk to him about it. Now, this is their best friend, by the way. Uh, 1032, uh, they're afraid as they follow Jesus on the road into Jerusalem. But the closest parallel to this moment right here in 16.8, the closest parallel is actually in Mark chapter 5. And it's another story it's another two stories that are come together. And these two stories are all about women. Do you guys remember these? In Mark chapter five, uh, there's a woman who has an issue with blood. And what does she do? She presses through the crowd and she touches Jesus, right? And when she touches Jesus, she's made well. And somehow Jesus is aware that somebody has touched him and power has gone out of his body. And he says, who did that? And his disciples are like, what are you talking about? There's a million people around here. And then Seth, if you want to put this up, Mark chapter 5, 32. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Next verse. Look at this, 33. Then the frightened woman, underline frightened, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. 34. And he said to her, daughter, your faith, underline that, has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. This is interrupted by another story. Do you guys remember Jairus? Jairus has a dead what? Daughter. Another girl has a dead daughter. And on the way to heal the girl, some men from Jairus' house come to him and say, hey, don't bother the master anymore. She's no longer sick. She's dead. Just let Jesus go, right? And Jesus says to them, don't be afraid, but what? Only believe. Only believe. Here's what we have in the gospel of Mark. Jesus will not leave us in our fears. He always calls us to faith. He will not leave us in our fears. And as strange as this moment is, as strange as this moment is, we have this confidence that Jesus will come. He comes to all the women in Mark who are afraid. He comes to all the fearful disciples behind locked doors in the gospel of John. He comes to doubting Thomas and says, look at my hands and look at my side. It's another sign of Oz. It's another sign of the kingdom. It's another bit of good news that in the very places where we're fearful, Jesus will come to us and he will speak words of peace to us. In the very places where we are troubled, the gospel will come to us. In the very places where we are doubting, we will be visited. What we cannot carry, Jesus can and will. This is the good news this morning. What is no longer needed? What we cannot do. What we struggle to believe. This is the good news. And so this morning, maybe a few questions as we prepare to take communion. And if you're in the band, come on up. 
Maybe just a few questions to consider. First question that we maybe need to consider this morning is this. What do I no longer need to keep carrying? Like what spices have I what, what spices have I brought to the resurrected Lord that are just literally no longer needed? In what way have I come to a funeral not realizing I've actually come to a celebration? That'd be another way of saying it. What can I let go of? What is heavy? What have I been trying to do for Jesus that he does not need me to do for him? What have I been trying to do for Jesus that I actually need to let him do for me? All the same question. Second question. What do I need to let Jesus do? Like, like what rocks, what stones, what things are in the way this morning? What things give me anxiety? What things are too heavy for me? What things are blocking and I just need the son of God to move it aside. Just, this is a moment to name it. And then finally, finally, what am I struggling to believe? What am I struggling? What am I struggling to believe? What, what is, what is fear getting in the way of? Like what is fear shutting down? These are the places where Jesus wants to meet us. Jesus comes to all of his fearful and unbelieving disciples. The Gospels tell this story universal. All of the fearful and unbelieving disciples, they get a visit from Jesus. And in every, in every instance, Jesus speaks words of peace and he, he gives an invitation to believe. Like, what is it that I'm struggling to believe? Can I name it and can I own it this morning? This is the good news for us. Where you're weak, he's strong. Where you can't, he can. Uh, what you haven't done, he will do. What you have brought might not be needed. And where you are afraid and unbelieving, Jesus has peace and he has, he has strength for you even today. Yes. Amen? Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand this morning? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.